for me trying to instill in that in new grads or vet students that really we just have to make a couple choices, get things down the road a little bit farther, see how they're going, and then reassess. Welcome back to That Vet Life Podcast, the podcast created for veterinary mentors and mentees. My name is Dr. Mariah McCauley, and this week on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Gary Marshall as we talk about this idea in practice of how do you treat the patient, not just the disease. Now, we talk about the common challenges new veterinarians face when developing treatment plans and the process you can use to help your own mentees grow in their skill and confidence when it comes to this new grad challenge. Now, whether you are a mentor or a mentee, this episode is for you. And as always, having conversations with Dr. Gary Marshall is just so much fun. He has so much experience and knowledge to add to these conversations. So let's jump into it. Okay, so Dr. Gary Marshall, welcome back to the show. You are a familiar voice for the VEDEX international community. But I'm trying to think, when was the last time we actually like recorded a proper episode? Do you know? Oh, gosh. It was probably in 2021. Was it that long ago? Oh, geez. It wouldn't surprise me. Oh, geez. I'm failing on this then. We need to keep you on here more remember. regularly. <laughs> <laughs> but we are talking today because you put out a post on Instagram, which I feel like most of my episodes are related to Instagram posts. So you put out a post recently that had the words, how do you treat the patient, not just the disease? And oh my goodness, the Vetstagram community went crazy with this one, and crazy in a good way. And I wanted to dive into that a bit deeper uh, for a podcast episode because we're speaking to veterinary students and new grads and the exact people that you basically created this post for. So tell us a little bit more, like, why would you use those words exactly? Like, why would you say treat the, the patient, not just the disease? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me back. It's always fun to talk with you and to be here. And yeah, I think lately... Some of my posts and just thoughts that come into my mind, I just kind of like, okay, that resonated with me. It'll probably resonate with others. So let's put a little little quote down. And as I've been having more students sort of back to back to back come into the clinic, I think I see some trends now. And especially as it's sort of earlier in their senior year than later, all that stuff that's been crammed into their heads for the last three years, as far as chemical formulations of drugs and you know, the Krebs cycle maybe too, and cascades of things that are broken down Krebs in the liver cycle. and all that kind of oh stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see a cat come in that the owners are concerned about it, of certain whatever it is. And you ask the student, okay, so what do you think's going on? And what are we going to do about it? And they either come up with a tremendous long list of all sorts of things, or they just stare at me blankly and say, I don't know where to start. And so I think that came down to, let's focus on what are we going to do to help this patient as opposed to just like define and, you know, word vomit a bunch of stuff about a particular disease process. No, I have been experiencing that with some students as well, where it's really, it's that challenge of how do you go from being in a lecture hall where everything is textbook, everything makes sense, one plus one equals two type of scenarios, and then you end up in real life where... 
one plus one equals five somehow. <laughs> and like you have trouble really putting it into a language that A, you as a doctor understand, and B, language that the clients understand. So today I really wanted to dive into like how do we actually treat the patient and not just the disease and how would you walk a, a vet student or a new grad through that process so they can build that that pathway forward that they can use on each of those disease processes, regardless of what walks through the door. So I guess we can, we'll start with like a, a basic case that a lot of us are sure. familiar with. Um, you came up with earlier, you have that cat that comes in and it's been uh, peeing or pooping outside the litter box. And obviously it's smelly. The clients are having to clean that up every single day. You can see they're frustrated with it. They're about to get a divorce. About to, or the cat's about to get shipped off to who knows that relative that lives in Idaho. And uh, they just don't know what to do. So they come into the hospital and what is the like the first step, I guess, in order to go through this how? How do you treat the patient? Like what's the first thing that, that this doctor should do or mentee should do? Really good question, good scenario. And it's great to have this alongside with a student in the room or not, but certainly if you're just getting out and, and this comes into the room, my advice would be the first thing is kind of like you brought up already, kind of get to know the clients in the scenario. And you can do that, you know, very casually while you're either examining the cat or even before you, you get the patient. I guess it could be a dog too. I just deal with cats. So that's where my examples come from. But sort of measuring where they're coming from. Is this a desperation type thing? Is this a, you know, they don't care type thing? And measuring that with how urgent it is for the pet. Is this a, we get some some time to work with this so we can educate or we need to just take over and save a life and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So in this example, with the pooping outside the box, we also have to use our experience, you know, if we have that or from a mentor to a mentee to say, okay, nine out of 10 of these that come in to see me, probably old cats that are missing the box, they're pooping outside the box and it's because they're most likely arthritic and dehydrated from kidney degeneration. And that's not something that's coming across the client's mind because they're like, my cat drinks just fine. So how could it be dehydrated? And so that's where treating the patient, I mean, we have to treat the disease too, but treating that patient really comes in with education, with explaining what the processes that lead to that dry poop, not getting it where they want to go is levers that we have to adjust to help this client understand and the patient get better. And so focusing on all that other stuff as far as the environment, what the owners can do, what the patient will allow them to do to try to get to a resolution. It's, as somebody answered in my post or put a comment in there, that part of it comes with a lot more art than science. And I love how you said that takes a lot more art than science. Because, I mean, veterinary medicine is called a practice for a reason. It's not a perfect form. It's not a science. And one thing I was hoping that you would say was, get a good history. And essentially, that is what you said. But um, well, of course. Yeah. as you were saying, the kind of things that went through my mind is I always look at students and I'm like, well, let's come up with a problem list. But not just a medical problem list. Not just a they're pooping outside the box 
or hey, we did the lab work and their kidney enzymes are elevated, or they have arthritis, or they have bad dental disease. Like, what are the problem lists for the clients? Like, when they come in, they say, I am frustrated. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I hear you, you are frustrated. So relaying that back so they feel heard and seen, but also saying, okay, you're frustrated about the pooping outside the box. You're frustrated about like having to clean it up and like really getting to know them on that personal side and being like, okay, like we can't ever catch this cat. We the, The cat doesn't let us touch it. Those kind of things are really important in how you treat this patient and how you treat this disease. Because then you'll have to ask the questions, A, can you medicate this cat? Can you give it a tablet? Like, what are these are the kind of questions that will come down the road and how you treat this patient. But really coming up with that really good history to yeah. get to know that client better, understand what their frustrations are. What is the client's problem list? What is the cat's problem list? And how do we then ask the client, like, what are your goals? Like, what do you want to happen here today? Because you can't really ask the cat what it wants to happen because it wants to go back in its box and go home. Yeah. So where do you go from there? That's really good. You explained that really well, that what those goals are, because I think part of our goal will come down to, you know, just that relationship with the pet and the owners too. And in, in this particular scenario, is it something they're just finding poop and they don't really like the cat that much? So they're going to take this 15 year old cat and they're just going to let them outside and that'll solve the problem, you know, because they don't have to worry about it anymore and they don't really, there isn't that bond there. Or is the reason that they're so frustrated and that brings them to you is that this cat, you know, for 15 years has slept in the bed with them. And now one, it has a hard time getting up. So they don't know why it's not there. And two, they don't want poop in their bed. So they're, it's affecting the bond and they're having to change the environment where this cat goes, their ability to interact with the cat, they, and all those kinds of things. So learning all those makes us be better. Veterinarians makes things better for our patients, definitely. And for our, our clients, definitely. And like you said, with the, what can we accomplish? And breaking it down, usually for me, and I'm not that smart, and simple things are better for me. So if I can break it down to what is the next one or two things that we're going to decide to do, and then see how that goes, and then manage from there in a lot of these types of situations. And trying to, for me, trying to instill in that in new grads or vet students that really we just have to make a couple choices, get things down the road a little bit farther, see how they're going, and then reassess. And sometimes it takes a lot of diagnostics. Sometimes we don't have that luxury and we have to make some decisions about with less diagnostics to kind of, our decisions are limited to say, okay, what are we going to, what can we still do that we know is going to be safe with less information? And that's that whole like ivory tower versus spectrum of care conversation that is really hard for new grads. I remember for myself coming out of vet school being like, well, this is what they taught us we need to do. But at the same time, trying to think, okay, what is within the limits, the financial, the and the physical, and the emotional, and, and all those other capabilities of the client and this patient. So if we look at this cat, so maybe they allowed us, maybe by doing our history, we found out, hey, this cat is actually drinking more. They're filling the water bowl more frequently or they're finding more wet spots around the house or maybe in the litter box if they're lucky. So that gives you enough pull to say, hey, maybe we should run some lab work. And by some miracle, you get the okay to, yay, get some lab work done. Yeah. So we've already gotten one luxury. 
And we do find out this cat does have kidney disease. Let's say it's stage three, iris stage three kidney disease. So, see, now you're talking like a student again with the iris stages and things. um, (laughs) I want to give him something to grab onto. Sure, sure. uh, Basically, this kidney disease has progressed pretty far. It's not the worst of the worst, but it's enough that we need to make quite a few changes for this cat in order to improve its quality of life. And thinking about how we word these things so that, A, we're treating the the kidney disease for this cat, we're making the cat feel better, but also how do we say this in a way that helps the client understand and helps align the goals that you have for this patient and that they have for this patient? Because one thing that comes to mind is the fact that we say, you know what, we can't fix the kidney disease. It's not going to go away. It's just going to keep progressing. We're just slowing it down. So they're going to keep probably peeing a lot and drinking a lot (laughs) and making the client aware of this is probably something really good to do. But I feel like I'm going a little bit down the rabbit hole. So so pull me back from there. You're good at those rabbit holes, but that's okay. (laughs) Sometimes we need to go there. Yeah, I think if we're talking specifically about this particular case, that education is really important because they've brought them in because of a behavior that's happening that, that they don't like and they want to be changed. So for us to have to say, okay, now we learn that there's kidney disease. We can't really tell arthritis on a blood test, but we can gauge what may or may not be safe to use to help if there's pain involved. And then we educate the clients on, even though it's drinking a lot, it's because those kidneys are so incredibly inefficient. So drinking is a good thing. Encouraging them that this thing that is happening is a good thing. And we can even encourage more of that by maybe we shift to canned food. Maybe they're only feeding dry food. And so we can get more moisture that way. And explaining that if we work on making it a little bit easier on those kidneys to keep things hydrated, the poop's going to be a different consistency and maybe we won't have poop on the floor anymore. That motivates them a little bit to say, oh, this may have some benefits on me besides just the cat. And then trying to explain that pain portion of things that we do have some control over and that cats are notoriously horrible at (laughs) giving us that like, hey, it hurts. They just slow down more and trying to explain how, let's see if we can affect that more. And we've got some great things to do that with now and see if the cat is a lot more comfortable. And then if you get that reinforced with the owners, like we've explained why we're trying to do these things, they say, okay, I don't know if you're right or not, but we'll give them a try for a little while. And that gets reinforced that it is, oh, this is helping. And then they can be more motivated to see, uh, my cat might've been in pain and really uncomfortable for a while. And we really need to watch things closer and do all that kind of stuff. So That's a little bit of a rabbit hole, too, on how to get this back to where we wanted it to go. That was good. And to kind of like sum up everything that we've talked about up until this point, it's when you're talking to those clients, A, get to know them, come up with you what your problem list is as the medical professional. Exactly. Come up with what the problem list is for that client and see where the two can actually, like you can find alignment between the two of them. And then from there, you also, you have the, so you have a problem list. And then from there, it's like you said, it's figuring out what are going to be those catches that are going to prevent you from implementing your treatment plan so far for the disease. And then how do you tailor it individually for that patient in that scenario with that client? And then the other thing that you said was, what is our, what's our first step? Like, what are we going to do here today? Then what are we going to do tomorrow? 
what are we going to do in three weeks, in three months? So coming up with that long-term plan is also a big challenge for students and for new grads, because so much, like we said, is ivory tower, this is exactly what you're supposed to do, versus what can we do that is the best outcome for this patient in this scenario? And it's going to look different. Oh. If, like if you have three kidney failure cats, you're probably going to have three slightly different plans for each of them and for that individual client. And realizing that just because they're different doesn't mean one is better than the other. All three of them are going to bring about the goals that you and that client come up with together as a team. But it's it's hard to do. It is really hard to do as a new grad. Yeah. I think what you said there is super, super important. And I'm glad that this didn't end without touching on that, is that so many different problems that we can put the same name on are going to be managed completely different. And they should be managed completely different. And they can't be managed the same because of so many factors. Cat temperament, client resources, how far away they live from rechecks, and who's home to do it, and how many other cats are in the house, or dogs, or kids, or any of those types of things play a huge factor in how we manage a patient. So I'm glad you brought that up. And how one tolerates a medication you know, easy and the other one doesn't. So that's something that when new grads get out and they say, well, I did this for that cat last week and it's not working on this cat this week. And it's like, yep, that's right. <laughs> and now we got to do something different. Because cats don't read the textbook also. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that was, I'm glad you brought up that point. That's really, really important. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one -one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. And just going along that line of spectrum of care, like it's not like if one client can't afford to do this out of the other, or maybe that cat doesn't tolerate sub-Q fluids at home, or the client has severe arthritis in their own hands and they can't give the sub-Q fluids. Yep. What are you going to do in that time, in that option? And being able to come up with, I would say, two or three options that are like as a management plan for that client and that patient, rather than giving them every single possible option that's on the face of the earth, because it's just going to overwhelm them. So if you were talking to a mentee, like what would you advise them on for how to come up with those like three game plans? I think we can just kind of summarize on what we've talked about. We want to get to know them and what they're trying to, why they're there, what they're trying to accomplish, what their concerns are. And then we want to, as you've said, we want to identify where's that Venn diagram that overlaps 
what their concerns are and what they perceive is the issue. And then um, what ours are for our medical background, what we know at this point and what we need to find out. And then when we put those together, then that game plan of, okay, what can we do that, like you said, won't overwhelm them and will kind of get the the ball closer to the goal of health and more well-being for them. One thing I really stress with mentees and new grads with my patients is we could send seven different medications home and they'd all be totally justified and we could do it. And it's just not going to happen and everybody's going to be frustrated. And if the cat's not doing well, we don't know which one or any of them are related to that. So I really like to say, okay, let's engage response to therapy as a diagnostic tool. So let's try a couple things, see if we're better, we're worse, and then adjust from there. And I think with access to care, with virtual care, with all those types of things that we're trying to do and nobody can get in to see us nowadays, is we do have to shift a little bit and be able to find ways to reassess how things are working and make a new plan without necessarily always getting them into the clinic, even though we'd love to. Now, that's been one of the biggest challenges that I know you have been facing, I've been facing in my own clinic, is how do we provide the level of care that we want to, to these patients and to these clients, but within what we're even capable of handling on a day-to-day. So there is also that little bit that you have to figure out, okay, just because I could see that patient in and as an emergency for myself doesn't mean I have the staff available. So kind of being able to make those bigger decisions And that kind of brings up the topic of like indecision paralysis Mm. (laughs) Um, as a new grad. That was one of the biggest challenges that I faced was trying to make all of these decisions seemingly all at once. And as we were talking um, off microphone before the episode, like even yesterday, thankfully I'm able to handle it now, but I had multiple high intensity cases all happening within a 30 minute time Mm. frame yesterday and I had to basically triage what was most important to me and important in the in the level of each of these patients I was managing and who was I going to delegate that task to that's been the hardest thing for me to learn um, is how to give up that control and actually delegate those things so it's not just on a doctor to patient doctor to client perspective of how do we come up with a plan how do we treat this patient in front of us, but also how do we care for the team around us? How do we delegate all of that? That's Um, that's a whole other layer (laughs) that we did not intend to go Uh, into in this episode, but here we are. Open that can of worms. Uh. There you go. So what are your thoughts that are coming to mind as I open that one? Yeah. Uh, that added added just a big huge weight <laughs> metaphorically onto me <laughs> I because saw it on your face I was like oh gosh well because we see that every day right and it's and like you mm-hmm. said it's not just us and so we're problem solvers and we're used to you know for our detriment it's like I can handle this let me do it I'll do it all you know we can't do that and that's not good for us and it affects everybody around us and so you know like with me as far as just getting. I can fix this thing. And if you bring it in on Wednesday, it's my day off, but I'll be here to do that. But the staff, two of them are sick anyway, and everybody else is busy with the other doctors that are actually there. And so they're just, they're really pissed at me. (laughs) That is like, I wanted to help this. (laughs) I wanted to help this extra case and get it done. And so you're right. We have to take that into account because I think we have to be thinking, I don't think the word, the long game is really appropriate now. And that long game is like 
two weeks from now, <laughs> are we gonna <laughs> are we gonna still have everybody around that we need to help the most? And leveraging all those around us to take the load off where appropriate is really kind of I think the big thing that we need to we need to tackle now. And how do we get up to speed on that? Because it's an issue of kind of, you know, they call it like just in time ordering, you know, so you're just going to run out of one thing next Thursday when you can predict that three people buy bags of food between now and then that are on your shelf. And we're a little bit better at that, but it's still pretty random. But we suck at that with our people and having the right people around at the right time for the right problems that come in. And I can describe it, but I don't have an answer for it. And I feel like that's that's how the conversation goes with so many other veterinarians is we can identify what the problem is, but we don't have a good solution yet at this point. But yeah, it does all kind of circle back to that base game that we have to come up with between like kind of like bringing the, the conversation back around to where we started. It's like really getting to know the needs, the wants and the goals of and the expectations and realities of everybody that's around you so that you can come up with the best and most sustainable plan. I guess sustainable is a really good word to use in these cases mm-hmm. as well. I think that's good. Just um, in how like we manage our patients and how we take care of our clients. Like, sure, we could burn ourselves out doing everything all at once in that first three days? Or do we come up with a better, more sustainable plan for that patient, for that client, so that they can manage this long-term kidney disease that isn't going to go away tomorrow? You're not just going to give this one medication and poof, gone. It's for the rest of the patient's life. So that's a really important thing to communicate to mentees when you're working with them. And oh, goodness, like kind of going like there's so many little bits that we just uh, opened up in this conversation, which we won't go into too much detail here today. But I feel like that's a good way to kind of wrap it up um, in talking about that sustainability. So I guess to to break it down to be like, if you're a vet student who's listening and you're like, I just wanted to know what step one, two and three was. And to heck, you guys, um, you went like five miles down the road with it to break it down. It's like, OK, when you have these these situations and you're trying to figure out how do you treat the patient and not just the disease in front of you. It's come up with those problem lists between what you are seeing as a medical problem, what the client is seeing as an at-home problem. Figure out how do you communicate what your problems are in a way they understand so that you have that Venn diagram of where do your goals align and actually ask them, like use the words, what are your goals? What are the problems in front of us? And that will help them verbalize it so you have a better idea. But figure out what those goals are. Where can they align? And then come up with two or three short-term versus long-term plans that you can use for that specific scenario and walk the client through, all right, if we do plan A, this is what it'll look like. This is what it'll cost. This is what we can potentially expect as an outcome. And then do that for two or options two and three. Because then like life is not an ivory tower. Vet school is the ivory tower. Real life is not. There is a spectrum of care that you have to use, that you have to implement. 
and using that, like basically that is your, that's your step one, two, and three, (laughs) essentially, for how to approach these things and kind of remembering that there's no perfect way to go about it. There's no perfect way to treat every single patient. You have to figure out what works for that individual scenario and what is sustainable for them moving forward. And then also like, what is your role (laughs) as the doctor in this? That's how I would kind of summarize that. Anything to add? I think just to accentuate that a little bit, just to let people know that it's completely okay to go off script and not to fit those templates. You know, everything isn't the same thing. And all these students coming out and new grads are also incredibly smart, but yeah, they're afraid to screw up. And don't be afraid to screw up. Be honest with your clients. Be honest with your staff and your patients. It's like, these are the things I know. I don't know these things. And I think for this client and this patient and our clinic, I think this is the best way to go for this. And we'll find out if it works or not. And that's okay. And then also as the mentor, like as you're guiding these young vet students and these new grads, like they want to make the right decision. They want to do what's best, but they need help kind of putting those pieces together in some cases and learning how to ask the right prompting questions. And so maybe if you are the mentor and you're like, well, what do you think is going on? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Or they give you some very long-winded answer, kind of like break it down and be like, no, no, the basic, simple. Like, <laughs> we don't need to go too deep on this. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like ask them, like, what are the problems that you're seeing as the doctor? What are the problems you think the client is seeing? What are your goals for the patient? What is the client's goals for the patient? What would you come up with as a plan? And like walk them through that, depending on what year in vet school they are. And from there, you'll start to see the steps kind of fall into place where they're able to come up with those answers without you prompting them. And granted, that's kind of like a broad statement on it. But from your perspective, then, as someone who's been doing, uh, been a mentor for much longer, anything else you would add into that? I think just if from the mentor perspective, being nurturing and being supportive and guiding, not expecting, not looking for like, oh, you know, go back, figure it out again, come back to me. You know, it's like that. It's a team sport, mentoring and mentee. It's not quick and it's going to take a while. And you got to be willing to be in it for that, depending on the type of mentoring you want to do. I think that's a really good place to wrap it up because we've talked through, again, like how do we treat the patient, not just the disease? we've broken it down for what the mentee needs, what the mentor can do to help in that relationship. But of course, if you guys have any questions about any of this, or if you are a mentor and you have some other thoughts to add in, definitely let us know. You can reach out to either Gary or myself on Instagram. Um, You can also reach out through the VEDEX International community. But I want to say, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. We have to do this more often. It's so much fun. And I feel like there's a lot of good topics from um, your own experience that we could definitely turn into some episodes down the road. It'll be fun. Maybe we need to bring some the rabbit hole police along with us to just keep us on track. (laughs) No, no, but rabbit holes are so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, This has been great. We'll do it again. Absolutely. All right. Until next week, guys. See ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. 
And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life. <laughs>